Phil Van Cleve is the president of Virginia Citizens Defense League. And uh, he is uh, joining us now. He believes in the right to keep and bear arms. And Virginia uh, has is really turned quite radical, uh, Phil, has it not? I mean, towards the left. Yeah, Glenn, uh, the, uh, the last election uh, gave power for the first time in 26 years in all branches basically to the uh, to the democrats the house the senate in virginia and uh, and governor and lieutenant governor and attorney general so uh, yeah uh, it, it has and that's largely because a lot of people slept through the election only 40 percent turnout and what does this mean for gun owners in virginia used to be a very solid state and now it's going hardcore left well, for one thing, our, our governor had some problems with a, his, a photo coming up of him being in blackface. Yeah. We're being in the Ku Klux Klan outfit. We're not sure which it was. It could have been, you know, you, you know, either one. And uh, to divert attention from from that and the fact that he was willing to to calmly talk about how you could, about killing babies that had managed to get born, or maybe an abortion didn't work and they actually got born, and then deciding what to do and killing this baby laying on a table, trying to get away from that stuff. He decided to focus on guns. Plus, tons of money came in from Bloomberg. Tons. Millions and millions and millions came in the state because Bloomberg wants to get gun control going in Virginia big time. Uh, he doesn't like Virginia because years ago we passed a law when he tried to trick gun dealers into doing straw sales uh, or illegal sales. Um, our, our state put together a new law that said, you come in here and do that again, and you're, we're going to charge you with a felony. Mm. He's never forgiven us for that, so he's but he's really out to get get guns in Virginia. So it's like a, uh, a fetish with him. Okay, so so does it look like the Democrats will actually go the way of Bloomberg and and start taking away guns, or or is it just a a preparation step to uh, to start really looking into uh, sanctuary cities? Uh, it's really, uh, yeah, they, they decided to come on board full blast with all, all kinds of gun control. We would be, end up being worse than New York or New Jersey or, or California. Wow. Just all kind. Oh, yes. They put that all in. But what happened was then they, they, he woke a sleeping giant. All the gun owners that have been sleeping for years all of a sudden woke up. And, oh, my, you should see the rallies we're having. Uh, boards of supervisors, all of cities, they're, they're all saying we've never seen ever this many people here for any other thing you know um, so so philip explain to the people because there's um you know sanctuary cities usually are we're not going to enforce this law well what you're saying is you're going to enforce the constitution no matter what you pass the constitution says this so it's really not radical i mean in today's world it is but it's not a radical idea no, we are simply protecting a constitutional, constitutionally protected right. We're simply saying, yeah, this right is protected, period. I mean, you can pass what you want, but if it, if it violates the Constitution, then too bad. And we have sheriffs saying, yeah, they're not going to enforce this stuff. Because these laws that they're putting in don't affect people like me and you, people that aren't criminals that have, you know, perfect records and all. These are going after, uh, it's going after, it's going after, you and me, not people that are criminals. 
And so we're having, you and I are having the ones to, in Virginia that would have to do stuff, sell guns or turn them in or not be able to have this or that or go here happen. or there. It would, never, it would never. Criminals, we wouldn't care. So we had a question yesterday come on the show, and it's my understanding, and and this I would love your help on this. It's my understanding that uh, the sheriffs are the only law enforcement that answer directly to the people. They don't answer to the governor. They don't answer to the mayor or anybody else. They are county sheriffs that are elected by the people. And so they are a uh, a force that is on their own. They're kind of the the last line of defense for the Constitution. Is that true? Yes, that is true. Texas, I think, also has elected sheriffs when I was a deputy yes. in their county. Uh, yeah. But um, also our prosecutor, our Commonwealth attorney, the, the, the state prosecutor is an elected position. So they, too, answer to the people. So we can. We also have prosecutors saying, "Yeah, I'm not going to prosecute this stuff." What does that do? Um, I mean, what 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 does the left do? Because I can't imagine <laughs> in America coming for guns. It just won't. Uh, they're already trying to backpedal on this stuff. Uh, they're, they're, they've watched. They're, they're actually they're very concerned they're watching this whole they're seeing an uprise is what they're seeing of people going to all these meetings we have 43 counties now that are saying we're not we're, we're sanctuary out of how many uh, counties 44. out of how many out counties? 90 95 so we're holy cow we're approaching the halfway mark and uh um and that's we've only been doing this since a little after the election in november so this is and there's gonna be a vast number of them coming up to consider this on, on Monday and Tuesday. We're also planning to have a, our, our Lobby Day rally on January 20th uh, at 8 a.m. at the Capitol. We, uh, the, the rally actually starts at 11, but Lobby Day starts at 8. Uh, we, we expect, we don't know how many people we're going to have, but I, we can usually turn out 1,000, 800 to 1,000. I think uh, this is going to be an absolutely eye-popping thing. Um, my wife has kind of pointed out she thinks that what's actually going on in Virginia will end up being historical, and I think it will. I've I think never it will seen too. anything like this. Well, I think that the the people rising up against uh, things that are unconstitutional is what our founders told us to do. It's why we have the First and Second Amendment, uh, and uh, when the people rise up locally. I think it will have an impact. I mean, but how many of your, you know, you're you're really kind of run by Fairfax County, are you not now? Well, there's a few areas. Yeah, that's the problem. We don't have an electoral college in Virginia, so the the vast majority of the state's red, but it's being dragged around by a few blue areas. And those, and and, and so if people don't know the region, Fairfax County is basically the suburb of Washington D.C. Yeah, it's it is, and it's it's uh, very blue, and the rest of the state is, is pretty much red with a little splotch of blue here and there, not much, and they're just dragging us around. And the rest of the state is basically standing up, saying, "Enough of this! You know, you're not coming after our rights." The very guns that they want to ban are exactly what our founding fathers would expect us to have. By the way, one sheriff here in Virginia said if they were to pass a gun ban, he will deputize every gun owner in the county to make them law enforcement so they can keep their guns. How's that for some guns? Wow. Wow. <laughs> and he can do that too, can't he? Yes, he can. <laughs> That's amazing.
Yeah, That's our attorney general. Oh, this is wonderful. They asked our, one of the one of the uh, Democrat delegates asked our attorney general, "Hey, what about these sanctuary cities? These have no no meaning, right?" And I was just dying to see his response because he he supported sanctuaries for, um, illegal. Uh, for illegal aliens. So how is he going to answer this? They either they either are or they uh, you know are are not something you know so. Uh, it's kind of put him between a rock and a hard place. So, Philip, are you hearing from other states in the union and other uh, other parts of the country that are looking at you uh, as a test oh, yeah. model? Yes. They, oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, because they know if Virginia falls, then they're next. I mean, there's nowhere to run. We talk pointing out to our to our to members. There's nowhere to run. You can go to Kentucky. You can go to North Carolina. You can go to Texas. It'll it's fall all too. coming. You have yeah. to stand up and fight where you are. This, yeah. this country, you cannot run. We're, we're here to fight. People died in ditches to be where you and I are. We can certainly stand and fight these stupid politicians. Yeah. Philip, thank you so much, and I uh, wish, you the, um, wish you the best. And, uh, uh, and my sincere, um, sincere hope that everything remains sane and, uh, and nobody stupid gets involved and, and does does things on either side because i think people have had enough of being pushed around and the constitution being just sh- you know shoved into a corner uh or or outright ignored uh and peaceful movements like this where you stand your ground are going to be the things that that change change the course of the country Thank you so much, Philip. I believe Philip. it is. Thank you very much. You bet. Bye-bye. Um, if you want to uh, find out more, you can go to vcdl, vcdl.org. That's uh, Virginia Citizens Defense League, vcdl, and find out more on this. That's, I've said this many, many times for many years. Know who your sheriff is. Um, get to know your sheriff. Your sheriff is the last line of defense when it comes to uh, guns. They report directly to you. Uh, There's no governor or mayor or anybody else in line. When you have your police department, they are doing the bidding of the commissioner and and the mayor and everyone else. This is a standalone organization, and it was for a reason. And so know who your county sheriff is uh, and make sure that they are for the first and second amendment. What the hell? They're for all of the amendments to the Constitution. There is... uh, there's so much going on around the world. Uh, this, p- please pray for peace and uh, voice your support for the people that are rising up in the streets in uh, in Iran. This is the most violent uh, uprising in Iran since 1975. Uh, and 1975, or sorry, 1979 is when the students of the Islamic Republic decided to stand up and bring their old pal Ayatollah Khomeini back. Uh, and that's what created this Islamic state. Uh, Iran is, it's Persia. It, it is such a rich, rich history and has an understanding of freedom and intellectualism. And I mean, it's, 
This is not a backwater people by any chance of, uh, by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Rich, rich culture. These people, some of these probably were part of the revolution in 79, fighting for the overthrow of the Shah. Now they're in the streets saying, we do not want Islamic law. We want the Islamic State abolished. And millions of them are out in force right now. And uh, about a thousand of them have been just gunned down in the streets. There, there's hundreds of these protests happening in hundreds of cities all across Iran. Um, and the uh, sources are telling us now that the Iranian National Guard is just going in and they're just sh- they're taking these smaller ones in smaller cities and they're just gunning everybody down. Uh, with machine guns, and then when the f- loved ones come to claim the bodies, they're still there, and they say, "Oh, that's your husband, that's your son, that's your your daughter." Yeah, well, you owe us for the bullets. See, they've got four holes in them. You owe us the price for four bullets, just to rub salt in the wound and to show they're in charge. It's grotesque. What's happening? 7,000 people have been swept up and put into prison. Do you think there's any chance that this actually results in the overturn? Yes. Uh, you do? I do. If if Trump um, reacts right, I, mean, I do. And so far, you think he has, right? I think he has. Uh, I mean, it's what Obama didn't do. Right. You know, we are we are crushing them on sanctions right now. So their, their, their value of their dollar, if you will— was 30,000 rials to $1 under Obama. Under Trump, it's 130,000 uh, rials to a dollar. The price of milk and meat and cheese and everything that you would need, up 70% in just the last few months. And gas was the last, you know, now they're like, we can't even drive. And you're spending all this money on these foreign wars that we don't want any part. We don't want the caliphate. We don't even want the republic here. And uh, they're starting to get even some of the religious people, which I don't think they had in 08. So they're getting some of the religious people, not the clerics, but they're getting some of the religious people um, that are saying enough is enough. And I think if we stand strong, I think they they go free. It's interesting because you know, I'm optimistic, obviously, and it's a terrible regime and we've been rooting for the actual people of Iran to have a chance at freedom for a very mm-hmm. long time. However, we've also seen over that time how many opportunities for freedom have been uh, acquired and then also you know, wasted. I mean, well, so it's often. usually when you have a turnover of a free state into a totalitarian state, usually lasts about 80 years. So we're at the halfway point. Mm. Um, you know, they might have... They might have to have that entire generation pass that remembers it at all before they have a chance to freedom. I hope that's not true. And if we stand strong and let the people in Iran know we're behind you, it gives them the strength to hold on and to keep moving forward. Really excited for a uh, podcast with Nikki Haley. Uh, in a way, I don't think you've ever seen or heard her. Um, she is so genuinely likable uh, and so honest and open. I mean, I just, she does not feel like a politician. And 
wicked, wicked, wicked smart. Uh, and it was interesting how she talked about she was first offered the job of secretary of state and she went to meet with the president and uh, and turned him turned him down. And here's a here's a cut from that. Nikki Haley podcast. You are such a different. I, I, I don't know if you know this. Um, but you are. You know who Jean Kirkpatrick is? Yes, I do. I Super cool, yes. She's the only U.M. ambassador we've ever had, except you now, that I've went, oh, where's Jean? She was so great. Yeah. Um, you have, you're not this pantsuit politician. You're not a, um, you're not an angry woman. You're, you're ambitious, and yet it doesn't seem like it. I don't, I'm sure you get all of those, you know, name calling. And I think it's because, and this may have been the PTSD, the cause of this, you seem to be very empathetic. You seem to be able to feel people. You know, I was like that growing up. And I think it's because, you know, there were some painful times growing up, being discriminated against or watching my dad go through tough times, things like that, you, one, have no patience for bullies because you remember when they did it mm-hmm. to you. Two, you have sympathy for those that are made to feel different because I myself knew what that felt like. And so I've always been very in tune with people's pain and very in tune with how to lift them up so that they can be stronger and not be victims of that pain. That's, that's mm-hmm. really rare in politics. I mean, I think most politicians are just sociopaths. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they just... They, it's a tough club to be a part of, it, I will tell you. It is. But but they are, you know, they're ambitious. I'm, I'm not saying this in a... <laughs> I know, sociopath sounds bad, but um, <laughs> it's hard to do what they do and be able to steam through it and push through it and just... I mean, you you are, you know, uh, a witness or a, a testimony of that. Look at what happened to you. You know, you internalize stuff. And man, if you're Stephen in the public eye, don't do that because you'll just end up a ball of jello. Well, you know, I think I never wanted to be a politician. I was an accountant and, you know, grew up in my family's business and, stumbled into politics simply by the fact that I was doing the business for my mom's company and was complaining about how hard it was to make a dollar and how easy it was for government to take it. Yeah. And my mom said, don't complain about it, do something about it. And yeah. so I ran because I thought there were too many lawyers at the state house and they needed mm. one really good accountant. And I think that I've never wanted to be a politician to be a politician. I've wanted to move the ball. I've wanted to make people better. And that every time I do something like that, it humbles me more. She was, uh, what precedes this part of the conversation is when there was the shooting um, in, uh, in the Carolinas and uh, she had to go and be with the victim's families and, uh, she said, just tore her apart, just almost destroyed her. 
And it's fascinating uh, how she balanced that with guns and how she balanced that as a human being and how she went through it. She's really a very compassionate um, um, and interesting person. I asked her a little bit about China and do we stand up for Hong Kong? Listen. When you look at um, China, I can't figure out how... I mean, tell me, tell me how Hong Kong plays into this. I know we have this new Senate resolution that he was supposed to sign or maybe did sign. The House passed it and the Senate passed right. it. Hugely important um, right. to having the backs of the people of Hong Kong. Right. I mean, we have to be on their side. We have to be on their side because if Hong Kong falls, Taiwan is next. Yeah, yeah. And this is all part of China's grand plan. So, and the one thing they hate more than anything else is being called out. And this calls them out and says that we will monitor the actions China has with Hong Kong. So how do we do that and do a deal with China? Well, I mean, this is obviously sticky. I think that, look, I would love to see and I do think the president should sign it. And I think he should say, look, we're going to do this. But if China, which I know is saying, if you sign that. We're going to pull back. I know they're yeah. doing that because I saw them do they're it. They're saying serious consequences. Oh, they did it at the U.N. all the time. They mm. wouldn't even allow Taiwanese people to come into the U.N. They banned all of them, and the U.N. listened because mm. they bullied them so much. So mm. I know he's doing that. I think that the president can either go one of two ways. He can sign it and say, we're doing this anyway. He can veto it, and the House and Senate are going to override it anyway. And then he can say, well, I didn't do it, but Congress did. Either way, I would like to see him sign it. I'd like to see him stand with the people of Hong Kong. I think when it comes to our values and when it comes to what we believe in, we shouldn't compromise on that. Mm -hmm. China needs us anyway, whether we sign the Hong Kong bill or not. They need us anyway. And I think the world needs someone to stand against oppression. We need and we when we lead, others follow. When we led on Guaido and Venezuela, you know, 50 plus other countries followed. When we lead on the people on defending the people of Hong Kong and having their backs and using the power of their voice, others will listen. I mean, think about what's happening. You've got over a million Uyghurs or Muslims in reeducation camps in China, making them change their name, change their religion, change their way of thinking. If any other country in the world were doing this, everybody would be up in arms. But because it's China, no one's talking about it. That's what China has been doing around the world is they bully everybody into not calling them out. But if we continue to fall in line with that, then they will continue to oppress people around the world. Let me play one more clip. This is from Nikki Haley. This is a podcast that is already available at blazetv.com if you're a subscriber. Uh, these come out on Thursday, so you can get a couple of days uh, head start. You get the advance on it. Then it goes out to uh, YouTube and, and uh, everywhere else on Saturday mornings on my podcast. Um, and so you can you can wait until tomorrow, but... This is worth signing up for and hearing this with uh, Nikki Haley. I asked her to explain how she could leave all of this without a tweet. And her answer was pretty simple. Listen, you know, everybody asks how I got out of the administration without a tweet. And basically it was I would tell him the truth. If He was doing something right. I would praise him. I would support. I would rally. I would do whatever was needed. I thought he was making a mistake. I would say, 
I would call him or meet with him and say, I think you're making a mistake. Instead, I think you should do X. And he would say, okay, how do you see that playing out? He would always listen, not just to me, to Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. So he was one that was willing to be swayed. Mm -hmm. But when he made his mind up, it was done. It was our responsibility to support and rally for him to get that done. That's the way every business, every household, everything works. It's the way the American public expects it to work. As Obama used to say all the time, elections have consequences. Yes. Um, You were asked to be Secretary of State. I was asked to be in the running for Secretary of State. I wasn't like formally offered the position. I was asked to come to New York and talk about it. And you went and you said, not me. I'm not your person. Yeah. Why? Because I think that you have to know when and how to be successful. And we had too much going on in the world. And it but would have been... The United Nations is just the same, except it's the... I guess it's the big, it's the big people's table, but they don't do anything. I just didn't was... think he needed someone with that much of a learning curve okay. going in being Secretary of State. And I, um, I think it's important for people to know their boundaries. I'm not afraid to push through the fear and do things that are new and, so, uh, and try something new. That was too big of a step, and he deserved better, and I think that the, I thought that the American people deserved better. That is, so when oh. he first picked Rex Tillerson, everybody, of course, was like, it's because of Bill Big Oil, and oh, shut up. Who else has the experience of running a company the size of Exxon And he's already negotiated massive deals. We were very excited. I mean, I thought, especially because he had dealt with leaders of other countries, Mm -hmm. he, you know, the business side, I love to see business people go into government. Mm -hmm. I always think that's Mm -hmm. the way to go because they, they get rid of the red tape. Mm -hmm. They understand that it's all about getting things done. Mm -hmm. And so we were all very excited about Rex. I thought that was a brilliant pick. Turns out not so much. They just disagreed on everything, literally on everything. And so it would put me in the middle of that situation. And I agreed with the president on almost everything. So, you know, when you when you look at and I think the president was frustrated because so much of what he was trying to do, Rex would slow walk, stall or just not do it. It's the reason why he asked me to go to Vienna to see the IAEA that was looking over the nuclear production of Iran and doing all of the inspections fascinating interview you don't want to miss it's nikki haley you can uh, watch it right now on demand at uh, blaze tv.com use blaze tv.com if you're not a member uh, slash glenn use the promo code glenn and you'll save 10 bucks when you sign up uh just a really fantastic interview with with nikki haley and we have some good ones coming up for uh next year yeah get familiar with your front runner for the 2024 republican nomination Clearly, because there is no isn't it. I thought it was so smart when she said, you know, I mean, she's taking on the United Nations. That's a pretty big gig. But she knew the difference between the United Nations gig and the secretary of state. And she was like, I thought that was too much for me on a learning curve Hmm. to be fair to the president. Yeah. I mean, she's very smart in building one piece at a time. And now she has all the necessary experience, not only from you know the overseas experience you're talking about here, but also as the governor of a state. I mean, you know, an executive level uh, role, uh, overseeing a, a big economy and, and a growing economy. I mean, it's a, it's a. I mean, she's gonna she's gonna start this thing 
in first place. Two very different politicians, very different politicians, uh, Ben Sass and Nikki Haley. They're both set, setting themselves up, if they choose, to run for president in 2024. Mm. And Ben Sass has been a guy, he's been pretty invisible lately, um, but he has set himself up as a guy that is just reasonable, can talk to everybody. Uh, and Nikki Haley is kind of the same thing. I mean, they're going to demonize her. Um, but w- once you are exposed to her and listen to her, she's not an extremist by any stretch of the imagination. And would be our first Indian American, uh, although I doubt she would ever classify herself as that, but she'd be our first Indian American uh, president. Uh, here's the great news uh, Bloomberg has finally unveiled his plan. Uh, for gun control. Uh, and he says it's really, it's going to stop, you know, all of these massacres and um, and everything else. He's going to uh, raise the uh, age to 21. Same for purchasing booze, he says. He's going to require every gun owner to obtain a permit before making a purchase and require a 48-hour waiting period. Uh, background checks will cover all private sales and gun shows. Uh, gun shows. Um, and you're, of course, going to, you know, anybody, the bad guy, they're going to be... You know, denied access to firearms. Here we are. We already what have that. Um, he also <laughs> wants Congress to have the red flag law. Of course. Uh, that way, if you know somebody says, "Hey, I think my ex-husband might be uh, danger, and we're going through divorce right now," uh, you know, th- they can take the husband's guns away uh, without you know anything else. Um, and, uh, so he's got these things and he's saying that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, th- this is going to be very important to me. And this is one of the things I'm moving forward. So, uh, Bloomberg has that going for him. Mm. That sounds which, great. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting too. the, uh, they, they did a study on Republicans. What are their most intense policy positions? Mm-hmm. Um, intensity. Uh, so here's the top five. Number five, don't reduce the military size. They don't want that happening. Number five. Number five. Number four, build a wall. Mm-hmm. Number three is interesting. No slavery reparations. And it's like, it's very highly, it's just like they, you know, it's very popular, very much supported, but also very intense. Like, come mm-hmm. on, you know, yeah. this is ridiculous. Yeah. Number two, don't ban guns. So that's the number two most passionate feeling they have. What's number one? Abortion? Constitution? Don't impeach Trump. Wow. Number one. Wow. So, I mean, you see that, like, this is, but I mean, the gun thing is massive. Republicans will not put that up with that. study showed guns and impeaching of Trump mm-hmm. are the two things they thought could lead to civil war. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. All right. You're listening to Glenn Beck. <laughs> 